0: Welcome to Work Matters, a podcast where we explore how do we work more productive, meaningful, impactful, impactful and valuable. Uh, and my name is Thomas Bertels. I'm the host of the podcast and the founder of the of Purpose Works. My guest today is Bob Aubrey. Bob is a consultant, author, social entrepreneur, and speaker in the field of human development. Uh, in addition, Bob also has several pro bono roles, including with ASEAN, where he helps build the human development organization. Um, I've known Bob for 25 years, actually, Bob, you're the reason why, uh, or, or one of the, the main instigators for getting me into consulting. And uh, that has been a pleasure to have known you for all this time. Uh, welcome well, to the I've show. I regretted
1: it. <laughs> and Thomas, uh, thank you for inviting me. and Good to see you again. Yeah, we knew each other before you even went to the US, right, so that was a long time ago.
0: That was a long time ago.
1: Yeah. That's a story to tell one day, yeah.
0: So HR, uh, human resource yeah. function, is, is really being disrupted by right? this new business model, right. there's new organizational model, right? Uh, there's, there's gig work and so forth, but also technology changes how we work, right? whether it's right. artificial intelligence or social media or, or how we learn. Um, so, so you're a big proponent of, of human development versus, let's say, an, an, a classical HR function. Uh, tell us a little bit about w- what you consider to be covered by the term human development? And why does it matter?
1: Well, I think it matters quite a lot, but let me step back a little bit in time because I think uh, if you take any textbook on HR, you'll see that there's a history of it and it went through different stages. Uh, If we go back to the 1970s, it was very humanistic in the United States. There was a lot of uh, uh, interest in training. There was a lot of new research, et cetera. But when you get to the 90s, su- su- suddenly something changes, and particularly coming from the United States, which has had the world dominance of the idea and the concept and the training and the uh, MBA teaching about what HR is all about, all about. So, what happened in the 90s is on the one hand with companies, there was a, a, a very strong shift towards uh, uh, you know shareholder value and there were companies taking over the, sh- the, the 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 you know there was there were companies that were buying out other companies and these corporate raiders were looking at hum- human resources as a cost and so suddenly the whole thing became how do do people support the profitability of a business And HR became defined that way with the number of authors, the most famous being, um, you know, Dave Ulrich. And I can remember reading uh, that book and I'm going, what is this all about? Now, in the 1990s, another thing happened that really, uh, that HR really didn't uh, catch on to. It went on to a completely different track. And what happened then was the 1990s, was when the United Nations started to adopt uh, human development uh, in terms of economics and uh, started measuring development indicators according to countries, and this and, and this, this also influenced the International Labour Organization to define work and redefine their mission as promoting decent work. So here we are, you know, thirty years later. And we've got a fundamental divide between uh, HR, in which treats people as a resource and as a cost, and administrates and does process for that resource and tries to uh, measure the, the investment and the return on investment. On the other hand, you've got this huge historical change that we're seeing in the world of politics. And we're seeing it right now because... The COVID pandemic has been an accelerator, uh, so you started to see it before in certain declarations, like the Roundtable uh, Declaration that actually companies should be stakeholder. It should be stakeholder capitalism rather than uh, just uh, uh, shareholder capitalism. Uh, but it, but you know even today, if you ask an HR uh, director, even someone you know fairly high up with a master degree in HR and you ask them what's the link with the United Nations, they can't tell you. And even to the point of saying, well, what is actually the role of human rights uh, in in, uh, in, in HR if you're managing a multinational company across the world? So this divide means that to me, HR took the wrong track. And we're actually now in the sort of transition where many of the HR professionals are trying to add this on in some way. Uh, And so it's really funny when you start to see that the the words come here. So it goes goes from HR to to human capital. But human capital was was the paradigm right before the human development paradigm. Uh, It still treats people as an economic uh, unit. So uh, uh, beyond beyond economics, uh, there's, there's no way to measure it. And so for me, you know, that's when I started becoming involved in saying, I've got to do something about this. One of the things was just measurement. You know, all the measurements that we try to do about people are are, are limited to KPIs, performance. Development doesn't have the same measurements, it's not the same indicators. And yet we don't use KDIs. In this book, I said, okay, we need to have two sets of indicators. We need to be able to measure development. And we also need to define and redefine the role of professionals who are responsible for people in the organization. And it's not just how do people support the success and the sustainability of the company that they work for. That's only half of the definition. The other half of the definition has to be, how does the company or the organization support the success and the development of people not only of employees but stakeholders uh, we'll, you know we'll, we'll talk perhaps about the contingent workforce the gig economy but how does the how do how do companies support people and there's a fundamental uh, set of of uh, resources and values that companies can they they can really make a difference they really do make a difference in the world of work so Work for me is a vehicle of development in that second definition. Uh, and so we, that means that we, when we're talking about, I'm a professional in a company. My purpose is to develop people. It's not to, to, to have a more effective administration, etc. Technology is helping us a great deal in doing that. Uh, and I have to be able to manage that. But that's not the heart or let's say the purpose of the function. So I believe that now we're ready to redefine the purpose of the function as human development and not human resources or human capital.
0: How does that look like? I mean, how do you operationalize that? Like what, what roles uh, do you see it's like, in a, in, in like an emerging human development function?
1: So I think what we need to do is to look at the textbooks of uh, the HR and then go back and then start to... To, to find another foundation, right? So if you think about it, the foundation of, of, of someone who's responsible for people and developing people, before you get to the development thing, the question is, well, what, what are the fundamental, what's the fundamental platform? And that that has to be human rights. And that's a big issue around the world today. It's a big issue in terms of capitalism. We have this almost cold war going between China uh, which has, has been the most successful historical development of people in history by far. Right? But it hasn't had the human rights and the human freedoms uh, part of that integrated in. So we're in a, a fundamental political change. So the first thing is to say, okay, let's go to the foundations. Let's look at what the United Nations has in terms of human rights. Let's look at the ILO definition of decent work. And let's look at the development indicators that are being generated. However, the United Nations can only go so far. So when, and 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 development itself is changing. So it's not just, we're going from underdeveloped or developing to being developed. Let's take the United States, a highly developed country, politically, economically, et cetera, but, the, the the period that of the Trump presidency that we just just went through shows that you can actually undermine uh, those principles and those values uh, and they're very fragile. I mean, we saw it also in Europe during the the two world wars, particularly the second World War, where you had very advanced the most advanced countries were uh, going towards uh, political theories that uh, that did not respect human rights. So now what we've got is a is a sort of worldwide movement uh, and there's a lot of debate and there's, a, there's, a, there's actual conflict in a sense about what we're trying to do. So the first thing is you start to change the, the purpose, the foundations, that defines what you're going to have then at the very top. So let's say if I'm going to redesign HR and make it into a human development function, I'll probably want to start with, Who's the first leader of that function? If I'm a small company, what does that person have to do? And uh, and you know some of that is HR based because if you take the talent cycle, I have to hire people, I have to train people, which means I have to develop them. But what we're seeing now in the function and the new names is we've got all of these new areas that are coming in. So uh, for example, sustainability. It's a big word. It's very important with the ESG investing, et cetera. Well, are HR people equipped to be able to manage sustainability? The answer is no. So very often uh, what you have is sustainability sparks somewhere else. I've seen many companies where CSR is outside the human resource function. Uh, And uh, certainly if you take most of the uh, organizations, anything beyond employees, that is to say the stakeholders, the contingent workforce is not defined in HR. So the idea is to redefine all of that into the package of saying anything that has to do with developing people, that particular person and the function owns that, and then will be able to work with different departments. But it doesn't own part of it, owns all of it, and then you have to be able to have people capable of carrying out some of those other functions. So... um, uh, CSR, for example, uh, that doesn't belong only to the people function. Sustainability doesn't belong to the only people function. But if we look at the state of the function today, let's take something as simple as the sustainable workforce. Where do you find a definition of the sustainable workforce? I'm, I'm working with the European Chamber of Commerce in Singapore, and we decided uh, to to have a big uh, theme of sustainability because it's something that Europe is bringing to Southeast Asia. And of course, the sustainability of uh, pollution, global warming, uh, ESG investment is there. But then they asked us with the Human Development Com- uh, Department, Human Development Committee, what you know, do you have a role? I said, yeah, we do. And I started looking for a de- definition of a sustainable workforce. There isn't one. Can you believe it? I mean, you know, we've got all this sustainability and nobody has it actually act- tried to formulate. So we did, uh, we did it ourselves. Uh, so that particular function then goes into some of the very larger uh, functions. Yes, you've got productivity. Yes, you've got organizational development. Yes, you've got strategy. On the other hand, you've got some of these very soft elements that, that HR tries to deal with like culture, Compliance, but particularly ethics. Ethics is becoming more and more important. HR leaders are really fundamentally not trained to be able to deal with e- ethical questions. So that's a that's a that's a lack. That's a that's a uh, that's something that we have to put in. Then you look at the whole e- uh, CSR corporate social responsibility, the e- ecosystem, the sustainability. You need somebody uh, possibly if you have a let's say a multinational organization where you have these. Strategic roles that are full-time positions. you'd want somebody that can do that. And then you would want somebody that handles not only the employees, but uh, a whole strategy for the contingent workforce and for partners and for uh, uh, the, 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 the stakeholders such as governments, etc. And I became very uh, involved, directly involved in that by starting this organization called the ASEAN Human Development Organization. Because in ASEAN, there are these 10 countries that are very, very different. So the labor laws are totally different. I mean, uh, some countries are very uh, developing very strongly, but you've got a communist country, you've got a kingdom, you've got uh, one party democracies and you've got multi-party democracies. You've got, uh, in, in ASEAN, you've got the, the world's largest population of Muslims, the second world's largest population of uh, Buddhists and the third world's largest population of Christians, you've got three hundred languages, and you've got nation states that are fairly new because they were all created basically after the Second World War, uh, in which you get a very strong nationalism. So there is no coordination like we have in the European Union across borders, and the businesses and companies represent a very important force because politically they can't come together. We see this with the Myanmar crisis where we can't even have a joint declaration for what we should be doing in something that's a not only a human rights disaster, it's a human development disaster. Every indicator of human development is negative uh, in that country, but we, we can't deal with it politically. But companies have these the obligation to be able to start to say, what do we do in the region and what is in the region? So I think that before you start to get into you know, the talented learning, the technology side, uh, the employee experience side, which you also need,
0: of course. So much of the management literature is, is so, so U.S. centric, right? Or a lot right. of the, the, the work is, is, is being done here, at least published here, and English is like a more universal language. Right. What differences do you see with, with more Eastern countries versus Western countries, and how, how they look at human development? And what's what's the same? What's yeah. different?
1: Well, development is just an obvious thing. So, uh, you know, I talked about China in which you had half a million people that suddenly came out of poverty. The Chinese, I mean, we have the Chinese Communist Party, which is, uh, we don't know whether it's the warrior, wolf warriors, or now there's going to be lovable pandas back again. But uh, it hasn't been a, a pretty picture politically. But on the other hand, that government has eliminated uh, fundamental poverty. The United States hasn't been able to do that. So yes, it's a developing country, but they have put their money and the resources into a systematic development of people. That's where you see the social side of, of, of the government. Uh, and then uh, you know they've been very successful. Then that's the largest country in the world. Well, maybe one of the two largest. Then you go to India, world's largest democracy, totally different fundamental values, uh, relationship to religion uh, and uh, multi, you know, uh, very diverse inside India, uh, but represents a totally different model uh, and value of people. So both can, you can say both are developing people, but they have fundamental differences in the values of people. And where I live, if I take ASEAN as a region, then you've got the, the, the most highly diverse workforce in the world uh, with these 10 countries, and there's no identity. So you know that if you have no identity and you're in between China with the, with the Belt and Road coming in, I mean, you look at a map, right? You've got the Belt and Road. It's coming across uh, Southeast Asia. And then you've got the Indo-Pacific through, the, the, through India all the way th- towards Japan, Australia, uh, it's we're right in the middle. So the world's fastest growing region, so development does link to growth of uh, of young population in ASEAN. So things like access to education are absolutely fundamental. and uh, and 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 then this huge potential of conflict and conflicting values to the point where you know in Singapore where you have a lot of foreign companies, you know, we've got, for example, uh, ByteDance. The the, uh, the CEO is Singaporean now, uh, and you've got a ByteDance, and then you've got other other companies like Google, etc., with fundamentally different ways of managing people. So, when if if I'm hired by one of these companies, I will be fun- I will be managed in a very different way. If I'm working for a Chinese company or an Indian company or an American company or even a European company, there's significant differences. Not to mention the state-owned companies, which are really important as well, which have national missions. So, you know, we've got this Asian century. And what's happened is that this generation is the generation in which the majority of university graduates will be coming from Asia. They're more in those in that sphere of countries that I've mentioned than the rest of the world. Which means that normally leadership, thought leadership, uh, innovation, uh, wealth creation is happening in this sphere. And so development is something that is very, very real. Uh, and it's fundamentally different from when I was living in Europe. I lived in France for 30 years. I was there during the time of the European Union. But even then, the function of human resources was very often, linked to the idea of how do we, you know, we have to reorganize because we have to cut costs. Uh, we have to be more productive. And so it's often a question of how do we reduce the amount of resource that we're putting into people and with the idea that, uh, you know, we're trying to pay as little as possible, either in tax or in salaries, etc. And then that leads to where we are today, where we have this, you know, uh, fundamental inequalities. So I'd say, yeah, if, uh, if, if you want to talk about human development, this is the place to be. It's not in the United States. It's not even in Europe, because this is where the, so many new things are happening and where the need is the greatest.
0: So let's say somebody listens to this podcast and say, you know, this, this makes a lot of yeah. sense. Right? I mean, how do I even get started on, on sort of transforming my HR function into something that, that resembles what you would consider human development?
1: Well, I think uh, right now in the United States. So, I've, I've obviously, having been born in the the, the, the U.S. And, and did my studies there, the early part of my university studies, which then I finished in Europe. But uh, of course, I follow politics, right? And so, what we're seeing in the political system and what Biden is doing as a president is is a it, it's a development strategy. It's a human development pol- policy, uh, very different from the Republican policy. So, you know, it, it, what you have to be uh, start looking at is, okay, what are what is Biden trying to do? And how does that affect the sort of typical idea uh, that we have had of American capitalism for the last 30 years, and those dynamics, uh, we know, for example, that the American workforce, let's say compared to Europe, has been under skilled, and under trained, Comparatively, to a large extent, and the idea was now the idea now is well, the government's going to spend a lot of money on trying to get people uh, trained and uh, you know rebuild this um, this middle class. Uh, what is a company going to do about that? Well, often this is where the the I would say that today we're probably in one of the most fundamentally ethical periods. Uh, that we have been in in history, which is uh, not the only time. But if you're running a company, the decision of how you're going to deal with that is largely ethical. And you have some very good examples of, let's say, um, Amazon, uh, Jeff Bezos, HR policy was one in which he paid the least and it was very, very hard driving. Uh, very ungenerous and then he starts to say oh yeah I'm going to raise wages because we've got this problem with the middle class and they've actually done some quite innovative things in terms of helping uh, people in in, uh, seniors for example to be able to work in their factories Uh, so um, I would say it's time to really think ethically first that's where it starts then you try to say if you if you really want to invest in people, you start to take a, a more humanistic approach. So it's sort of a philosophy or a policy or a culture. Uh, then you have to start looking at how you're going to change the leadership uh, development so that it's not just one-sided. Uh, and of course, then you have to you have to change your HR. And in many cases, I think for companies, they're going to have to start looking for uh, people that say, can you do human development? Uh, I don't really know what that means. <laughs> you know. Uh, so what we're doing is, uh, for example, here, uh, the human development as a practitioner for professionals, working in com- companies uh, as professionals in the world of work is something that's really, really new. And uh, for example, there's no certification training. There's even no career path that is that is built. There's no textbook. There's no university course for this. So uh, what it means is there's a huge opportunity for people that want to move in that direction. And uh, then they start to need to rebuild this function. And uh, then you start, you're going to start to see that professionals with certain certain experiences, educational foundations, uh, capabilities, uh, it's going to change. And unfortunately, we will have those people that make the transition in HR, we'll have those people that are largely involved in administration or just uh, efficacy uh, or efficiency, cost, uh, cost-cutting, et cetera, uh, we'll see the technology sort of uh, balance because you can use the technology today to develop people, or you can use the technology to f- to further and even more uh, completely repress uh, people by having a, you know the camera in the in the computer. There was an interesting story. Uh, about China, you know, that you can get all this information. So we talk about big data. H- HR has to have big data. You can use big data to exploit, exploit people and know everything about them. A lot of it is biased, but uh, you can or you can use it to facilitate the development of people.
0: But that's a huge step forward um, from, from like a traditional HR model, right? which is probably right. more protect the company from its employees. right? Uh, to, towards one more gear towards human development.
1: But my American friends, you know, they're saying, well, now it's HRD. Uh, I have a, a friend's professor and I'm, uh, what I'm teaching HRD. So it's if you, if you just get the R word out of it, then we'll be fine. <laughs> that, takes, that takes time to give that up. It took time for me to sort of say it's human development. So I think that's the question is, you know, can we get rid of the R word? uh then then you've got a whole new uh whole new, whole new ball game
0: yeah i think it's also interesting because right now everything is so technology focused right i mean right. I, that that's all right. anybody really wants to talk about and i think it's just really refreshing that you put the humanistic element in there because at the end of the day right humans are in that sense we're the only ones that matter from a from a perspective of like you know bringing by right, intellectual capital and ideas and, 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 and ambitions and ideas of purpose into an organization right the technology doesn't yeah. really do that. So so I think that's a it's been it's been a real treat to talk to you. Well thank you so much for, for sharing you. your views and and I, I I hope we can continue this conversation at some other point in time. Um, I look thank forward you very much.
1: To my, good to see you Thomas. Thank you.